Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joel Craft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 103.9 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you on another Friday evening. We are set to continue our musings, if you will. Uh, this evening, we are set to engage episode number nine to our series on Catholic musings. And per the norm, we are opening up with a question uh, for new listeners. Our Friday evening together has turned into a two-part reflection, a question that precedes the musing, um, and, and a question typically that is tied to the previous week with the musing engaging some aspect of culture, or maybe I should better say brief reflection on how our ordinary experiences are like prisms, if you will, into the way of uh, the superordinary, as will be the case later this evening. My musing will kind of reflect into an encounter I had while I was on retreat. All right, that being said, our question for this evening is not about last week, but about what took place two weeks ago. A few weeks ago, a priest in South Carolina denied Joe Biden the Eucharist. And like in years past, when there is a Catholic politician who publicly advocates for abortion, there is always a lot of discussion about whether or not he or she should receive the Eucharist. And my friends, I want to cut through the fog and get to the heart of the matter. I have been asked, what are the biblical grounds for withholding the Eucharist to a politician, if any? And thank you for that question, because really, it is the locus of any sound discussion on, on this topic. First, for clarity purposes, what do Catholics believe about the Eucharist? Catholics believe the Eucharist is Christ's truly present body, blood, soul, and divinity in that host, right, which is now the actual body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ. If the wafer host was just a symbol, the fuss over the priest denying buying communion would be irrelevant. But in fact, because of what we claim, it is very relevant. If there was any question as to the validity of Christ's true presence, go to the Gospel of John chapter 6. If you have your Bibles out, if you want to turn to John chapter 6, it is a uh, long chapter. I think it totals, what, 70, 71 verses. Let us pick up in 47, and we'll take it to verse 60. Pay close attention to what is going on here, and you tell me if you think that this is Christ speaking in symbolic terms. Truly, truly, I say to you, He who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that a man may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever, and the bread which I shall give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. 
He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not such as the Father Satan died. He who eats this bread will live forever. This he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. All right, now, in verse 52, we heard the Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Already there, you have a hint that Jesus is not speaking in symbolic terms because the Jews are claiming what? But that Jesus is speaking in barbaric imagery. And if if there was any question, again, as to whether or not what Jesus actually said was, well, what he said, that you only have life in you if you eat my flesh and drink my blood. Listen to what the disciples had to say in verse 60. Many of his disciples, when they heard it, said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Think about that, my friends. This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? If Jesus Christ is speaking in symbolic terms, why in the world would the disciples who saw all of his miracles, all of his signs and great wonders, would now, at this simple statement, say, who can listen to this? Who can listen to this? Well, clearly, my friends, what we're dealing with in this passage is the true presence of Jesus Christ. Now, going to the Biden question, I want to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul is focusing his teaching on the Eucharist, and it begins to become more pronounced on the abuses of the Eucharist in chapter 11. Why? Because the church of Corinth was performing sacrilegious duties. So he begins to teach on the importance of the Eucharist. And, oh, let's see here, in about verses 16, 17, and 18, he begins to get on them about the abuses of the Eucharist. And this is what he says in verse 23 and following. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'll take this from verses 23 to 30 and pay close attention again. All right? And this is all in response to why the priest would withhold communion. You know, are there biblical foundations to this? Verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I had also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was handed over, took bread And after he had given thanks, broke it and said, This is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the the death of the Lord until he comes. Verse 27. Therefore, Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord unworthily will have to answer for the body and blood of the Lord. A person should examine himself and so eat the bread and drink the cup. Verse 29, 
For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are ill and infirm, and a considerable number are dying. Did you hear that? What is Paul saying? For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Now, in this verse, to discern is literally to judge through, right? To perceive and assess the true nature of the body in both senses. One who receives unworthily brings judgment on himself. Here, my friends, the word judgment does not exclude the final judgment, but the focus here is on the judgment being felt in the community here and now. Right? If you are reading this in the first century, this is how you are receiving this. That is why St. Paul says, many among you are ill and infirm and a considerable number are dying. Brothers and sisters, the bread of life and the cup of salvation have become, in this case, explicitly the bread of death and that of destruction. Remember, St. Paul in chapters 8, 9, and 10 is challenging the church in Corinth to examine themselves. And the verses I just read for you are like a crescendo. And he goes back to the upper room, did he not? Quoting Jesus in the upper room, do this in remembrance of me. He wants the church in Corinth to understand the significance of what happened in the upper room. He's reminding them of the gravity of what they are doing, to the least of which, my friends, is what? But in the absence of discernment, judging death upon themselves. All right, so a priest who withholds communion from Joe Biden or any other Catholic politician for that matter isn't using the church as a weapon. Rather, he is simply interpreting 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to, to 30, 31 for what it is versus what it is not as we have discussed it. Okay? All right. There are many layers to this topic. What I wanted to do this evening was just make sure we are aware of some of the biblical grounds for the action of the priest. Okay? If you have any questions about this, please do not hesitate to send me an email at joeholcraft.org. Hit the contact link button there, or you can send a message to j-h-o-l-l-j-m-j at yahoo.com. All right. Now, let us turn our attention towards what struck me this past week. And in this case, something I was a part of some months ago that I was made to reflect upon. Recently, I had the opportunity to lead a retreat across from the Six Flags Amusement Park in Vallejo, California. During one of my breaks, I was looking out across the lake. The lake separated the retreat center from the amusement park. Looking out across the lake at one impressive roller coaster after another, each structure seemingly stretching itself above the tree line. Gazing out at the splendor of the park, I was thinking to myself, you know, that looks like a lot of fun. That looks like a, a day of great adventures. <laughs> a few minutes later, though, the Holy Spirit whispered in my ear a question. Is there a greater adventure than the Christian and Catholic vocation? After a pause, I quietly said to myself, no. And so it was, I found myself musing 
over this not-so-small encounter with the Holy Spirit as I was looking out over the lake at that great amusement park. Interestingly, my friends, the word adventure, I would argue, belongs to the larger context of the Christian Catholic vocation. What do I mean? Adventure is often translated as to take a risk, to take a chance, which speaks to what is necessary for us to experience the adventure itself. But if you go to the origin of the word, you find a more complete understanding of what an adventure is all about. The Latin adventurus best translates as um, to come to, to arrive at, or to achieve. Essentially, we are made to see our adventures as both risks and achievements. Really, it is to say you can't have one without the other, right? And so what does Christianity claim as the greatest achievement? Well, could we not say holiness and mission, which leads us to heaven, our salvation? Salvation, my friends. Being saved is the end goal for all Christian faithful. In order to achieve this goal, we need to be willing to take risks. Say yes to the will of God that at times is filled with, with, yeah, great mystery, with the great unknown, but these are challenges. This is where risks abide, huh? The unknown. In other words, we need to see the Catholic vocation of holiness in mission as the one great adventure that views challenges as possibilities to get closer to heaven and closer to our salvation. Maybe we have not tried Catholicism, because specifically to Catholicism, we see it as a punitive, institutional, authoritarian, waving its finger at us, telling us no at every turn. A body of people telling us not to have fun. Consequently, the Catholic Church and its life is perceived, I think, by many, if I'm going to be frank, as boring. In the words of one associate of mine, (laughs) if I want to put myself asleep, I just think of being Catholic. There's no excitement there. My friends, I want us to return to the roller coaster. For many of us, a roller coaster presents a great rush of excitement, the thrill of a lifetime. And yet, and yet, for you to get on the roller coaster for reasons of safety, you are told there are certain things you cannot do. No one questions the moral value of such rules and regulations because there is a consensus the engineers have our best interest in mind, our our well-being, right? My dear friends, in a more than similar way, we are made to see that the Christian faith, the Catholic faith, is surrounded by a series of thou shalt nots because behind every no is an immeasurable greater yes. A yes to holiness in mission. You know, I find it interesting that such words and phrases as conversion, discipleship, the word I've been using, And words I've been using, holiness and mission, are viewed as realities that belong to the mundane. Ironically, the very things we turn to to stimulate our senses and send us on a thrill of a lifetime always leave us pining for more. Why? Because the finite can never satisfy our thirst for the infinite. You know, we have these encounters that captivate our attention, but in the end, leave us clutching at empty space because they cannot satisfy our deepest longing, which in the end is to be loved by God. So what captivates your attention? 
have we allowed our encounters with Christ, the incarnation and the sum total of truth, to dare us along the paths of conversion, mission, and discipleship? If we have, we are ready to embrace the Christian journey not as something boring, no, but the adventure of a lifetime. An adventure that I dare say is full of surprises. God loves to surprise us, my friends. God loves to excite us. God loves us to give us his very life, which is joy. But this joy is everlasting. This is our claim. Amen, amen. All right, all glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you.